It's disclaimer time. Hey guys, the goal of this week's conversation is to better understand someone's experiences and perspective and to learn how people like you and me can love LGBTQ plus people better. I want to thank Nicole Huang for her courage and willingness to share her own experience. And all we're asking is that you listen with patience and an open mind. If you'd like further reading on this episode's topic, Nicole has provided us with some options for further reading. So check out the links in the episode description. Opinions expressed on this podcast do not reflect the views or opinions of any other organization. Thank you guys for listening. Love you all. Enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to Absurdity, where we explore all things absurd in religion, culture, and society. And today is going to be a great day. Um, I finally get to talk about something, uh, about a topic that I've been wanting to talk about on this podcast with someone, um, who actually, uh, lives it because I don't in my own life. And, um, this, today's topic is actually one that I have, uh, is the catalyst for why I actually started this podcast. Um, and so today we're going to be talking about the uh, LGBTQ plus community and, kind of the the goal that I always have with an episode like this um, is to try and navigate the conversation myself and and figure out, you know, wherever I get things wrong, I get things wrong and make corrections. Um, but I really want to try and learn from the experience of someone who actually is 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 living that life and and um, and having that journey. And I'm hoping that through this conversation there can be some um we can model some form of understanding and help find some understanding. And I think, you know, the main reason that I did start this podcast was uh, in order to give others or give amplification to the voices of others. And so today I have the wonderful uh, opportunity to introduce uh, Nicole. And Nicole is here. And I realized as I was saying your name that I never asked you how to pronounce your last name. Um, so we're going to do this on the show. Um, <laughs> so could you help me out so I don't butcher that one? Yeah, my name is Nicole Huang. Huang. All right. I was that's what I thought, but I wasn't sure. And I'd rather I'm the kind of guy that would rather just like ask you straight up. Yeah. Um than great. get it wrong. So I uh I appreciate that. So thank you for coming on, Nicole. I'm I'm really glad you're here and I'm glad you've decided to do this. Glad to be here. We uh we met like two seconds ago. So this is gonna be a good <laughs> time. Um and so Nicole is a uh, second year med student out in California. And she's big into kind of outdoor things like swimming and hiking. Uh, and she's originally from Washington State. And she is um, one of the middle children, uh, an older brother, two younger sisters. And she went to Andrews University for her undergrad. Um, so, and she studied music and English lit. How did you go from Engl music and English lit to medical, like to medical school? Well, I knew I wanted to do medical school from the beginning. I just... Oh, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. And then it was just something that I really love to do. So. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. I mean, I studied theology and now I recruit to a university. So, you know, <laughs> it's not like <laughs> it's not like I'm I'm not guilty of of the same, of a different life trajectory than what, you know, my studies might mm -hmm. might indicate. But um so how long have you been playing violin? I've been playing since I was six years old. So Oh wow. Yeah. Okay, you win. I played clarinet for six years. That's all I got. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's that's about as musically talented as I am. I bet you I could still play it. If I still feel like I remember all the notes, 
Um, I just feel like I would squeak a lot. Um, I feel like it'll pretty quickly. Yeah, I feel like it would, um, yeah. for sure. So, um, so what are, I, I, I want to open as we, as we kind of jump into this conversation with um, a question that I really like to ask people because I think it gives us a sense of, um, a little bit of a sense of, of understanding who you are um, and, and the question is this, basically, what, uh, what are you passionate about? Like, uh, like what sets your heart on fire or gets you really excited to do or to talk about? And this could be anything across the board. Um, but I'm just curious, like, yeah, when I ask you that question, what's the first thing that kind of jumps into your mind? Um, the first thing that came to my mind is I really love people and I love talking to people. I love just exploring their perspectives and their experience. And I think a lot of that, like, translates into interest in like social justice causes. Oh yeah, absolutely. And given that, you know, you did do English lit and music, um, there's a lot of human understanding that comes with both of those categories. Uh, So yeah, that definitely makes sense. But now today you're the one who gets, we get to learn from, um, and I'm excited. I'm, I am, this is, so I've, I've actually, I don't know how much of this show you've listened to, if at all, if you've previewed any, any episodes prior to coming on. I did. I watched an episode. I mean, I listened to an episode. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. So I have actually, I've only talked about this topic twice on this show. Um, and yet the Pulse nightclub shooting in Orlando was actually the catalyst for me starting this podcast to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's when I learned a lot of my friends, not a lot, but there were some of my friends that were LGBTQ plus, and I had no clue. Um, until the day after when they were like, oh, I was going to be there that night. And for whatever reason, I didn't go. I fell asleep or I went somewhere else or whatever. Uh And um, I wanted, this is one of the topics that I really wanted to talk about, but I also felt way out of my element in doing so. And I haven't been able to find, I hadn't up to now found anyone who was willing to come on and and talk about it. And I think part of that was I needed to earn my right in the space (laughs) of like, knowing that you're not going to be attacked when you come on this show, right? Like, you're not going to try to convert uh, me, me to be straight. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Like that, I, I, um, and so I am incredibly grateful for you coming on because this is the kind of conversation that is the reason this podcast exists. Yeah, um, I'm really glad I'm here. So, so let's, let's launch into this. Um, can I ask like how you identify and, and what pronouns that you would prefer? Um, so I'm bisexual and okay. I, Use she, her pronouns. Okay, sweet. So, um, how did how did you come to that realization? And and well, yeah, let's start with that. How did you actually come to the realization of of bisexual? Um, it took me a really long time, actually. Uh, I th- I don't think I realized this until I was in college. Um, I never really felt sexual attraction to anybody, and hmm. I always just assumed that once I got into a relationship things would just work out. Obviously I was thinking of like a straight relationship and yeah. um, I never really experienced, or I never really understood what people meant when they said people were like hot, so to speak, like quote unquote. Hot. Okay. Yeah. I never, yeah. I never understood what that meant until I was in college. So there's this girl and I felt really drawn to her. Not only physically, but also in, a, in an emotional and like intellectual way. We really clicked. And so I was like 20 at the time. And I was kind of, 
outraged. I was like, how dare this happen to me at this point in my life? You know? <laughs> like I knew, I knew yeah. I was raised Adventist and I, I knew the perspective that the Archer has on it. And I knew it was going to be really hard to be out. And so mm. I was just kind of upset when this happened to me. Yeah. It, it was definitely something that, you know, yeah, I, I, I mean, ignore. yeah, and I feel like, you know, when romantic feelings come on like that, it usually, like, it just kind of happens, and you're just kind of left to react to your own feelings, and I've even, one of the things I've realized is, is exactly what you said, which is given the, given the stance, not just the church has it, but a lot of people just in general society um, have on LGBTQ plus individuals, like, it's a, um, it's almost been this thing of whenever a friend has come out to me, um, it's been this thing of, Hey, I love you. Nothing is changing, but I almost feel, I also end up feeling this, this remorse or sorrow, like this need to apologize of saying like, I'm sorry for also the journey that you're now having to walk that's caused by others. You know, in other words, like, I'm not sorry that you identify whatever way that you do. I'm just upset that you're now going to have to put up with people <laughs> And attitudes that, yeah, does that make right. sense? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That people have, it's people have said yeah. that to me. So, too. how did you go from then yeah. anger to just kind of you know accepting that part of you? Um, I had a lot of friends and acquaintances who I knew identified as mm. one of the LGBT identities, and it wasn't something that I was angry about in and of itself. I was just surprised. It took me off guard, basically. Yeah. And um, it took me a long time to really come to terms with it, I think, because of the Adventist Church's position on it. Mm. So I have always been a very conservative Adventist. That was me. That's who I was. I was very um, deep into Adventism. and. Mm. Um, it's something that I always took really seriously from the time I was young and something that I thought was really important and valuable. So it was hard for me to try to process, well, how does this, how does this interact with my religious beliefs? You know, mm. like this is something that I can change about myself, but how then do I come to church? You know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, that is especially when you're on the more conservative side of it. Um, you know, there are some churches where that's an easier and some denominations too, where that's an easier ask. Right. right. <laughs> um, yeah. And yeah. so what, um, so how did you, I, I guess before I, before we continue with that journey, let me ask you, let me ask you this so we can get a sneak peek at, at, at current day, but where are you in regards to your faith today? Do you still have it? Have you kind of walked away from any form of Christianity? Yeah, somewhere in the middle. Where? I I am still an Adventist. Now okay. I know that the twenty eight fundamental beliefs include uh, the thing about like men and women, one man and one woman. Yeah, exactly. I, um, but it hasn't been anything like me pushing the church away. If anything, it's more like the yeah. church is pushing me away. Um, mm. but. Even even with that, I'm still Christian at least, and it has not been easy. It's been there have been a lot a lot of moments of doubt, and 
just thinking that it would be easier to just walk away from it. But it's something that I, for some reason, it's just important to me and I want to keep it. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, The, you know, the thing about fundamental beliefs, actually, (laughs) uh, we did do an episode on this and it was a lot of fun of like, a fun game I like to play is how many fundamental beliefs do you actually have to accept (laughs) in order to be considered an Adventist? Um, Or how many of any denomination's core doctrines do you have to to accept in order to be, you know, that belong to that? And honestly, like, if if you believe in, you know, the way that I say it is if you believe in the majority of what a denomination believes in um, and what they would consider, you know, a pillar of their... We have 28 fundamental beliefs in Adventism. They're not a creed. They're not a test of anyone's faith or membership or anything like that. Um, but I would say that like some of them are more important oh, yeah, to us sure. than others are. You know, like seventh day. Um, that's kind of a big right. part of the, the, the whole Sabbath <laughs> thing. Um, yeah, exactly. And so for me, like, if you are still someone who's comfortable calling themselves a Seventh-day Adventist, then in my book, you're a Seventh-day Adventist. Um, that's how I've always, that, not always, but that's how in the last several years I've really come around to it um, because there is no big test of like, oh, well, you're in or you're out because you didn't believe this one niche line in a, you know, this one tiny wording or phrase in one of the fundamentals. That, that's, you can disagree and still be a Christian. Um, so more power to you as you, as you, um, as you encounter things that, that mm-hmm. you may end up disagreeing with. But um, so with the anger and or and with some of the 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 fear having to figure out how to reconcile your faith, um, and your sexual orientation, um, what what were some of the things that kind of helped you make that that process or or bring you to that journey of being okay being in church again or um yeah how did how did that journey kind of play out? So it started out with a lot of research, um. I'm big into research and big into proving things. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I read a lot of books and I read a lot of articles. And for the first time in my life, I realized that the view that my parents and my church taught me isn't the only view out there. I had no idea there was even mm. controversy over the subject. And so it was a big surprise to me to learn that mm. there are a lot of people in Christian Protestant denominations who are affirming of the LGBT community. Um, so that mm. in and of itself was a huge step because I had no idea about any of that. Yeah, because I, I feel like that would tell you like, oh, there might actually be a place for me then. Right. Like there might be a way that this works. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And, ha- um, and, ha- and that, go, ahead. go ahead, you're good. <laughs> just, the, the, just the notion that there might be some sort of logic behind not yeah. agreeing with what you've been taught this whole time. That's comforting. Oh. Oh, yeah. And I, you know, you saying that you had no idea really does give an indication of, you know, where you were on the on the conservative spectrum, because I think the the further now I don't I'm not going to say you were like far, far right or far, far conservative. Yeah. That's not what I mean. But the the one thing about the the conservative side of faith is that it, it deals a lot more in certainty, mm-hmm. a lot more black and white yes. and a lot less gray. And so the fact that right. like. Yes, exactly. And so you wouldn't have any idea of it because the way the way that that a more conservative faith tradition will will share things is in a very kind of frank, straight to the point, black and white way. Um, and one of the things I always say is even the most liberal Adventist is probably still a conservative Protestant Christian. Um, so I it is just 
it it just <laughs> there's there's always a little bit more of that that black and white or rightness um in this denomination one way or or yeah. the other um so what um i guess my my question is when when you started coming back to church and and after doing the research and um you know i'm sure that there are people in your church or in the church who found out that you are bisexual i'm sure are you fully i mean you're on a podcast talking about it so it is no secret and that i could <laughs> right. that i could think of yeah, so clearly. um so let's get the bad news then good news bad news being what are some of the kind of harmful things that have been said to you or pushed on you as a result of people finding out that you identify the way that you do you know a lot of the things that people say outright are things that they say without knowing anything about you. Um, hmm. They're just, just because they're in that environment that supports that attitude, they feel free to say stuff like that. Once, once you're out to them, it's not so much things they say like blatantly. It's more that like the way they approach you. If you know what I mean? Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Do you, do you have any, like, I don't want to, I don't want you to like throw anyone under the bus, but yeah. Do you have any <laughs> examples of that? Or uh, what I'm hoping is someone who, who isn't in your shoes can, can picture this um, and can understand it in a way that is kind of real to them or, or is kind of a concrete example. Yeah. So for example, um, I'm in a relationship right now with a woman and something that tends to happen a lot among my family members, my older family members is that they won't talk about my relationship. They won't acknowledge the fact that I'm in, that I'm in one. And when other people in their lives ask them about that, about me being in a relationship, they won't answer or they'll answer negatively. Mm. So mm. basically erasing the fact that, well, this is the reality. Yeah. yeah like mm-hmm. I, I could definitely see people either not, you know, pretending like it doesn't exist or pretending like it's a phase. Yeah. Um, I could, I could definitely see that. And I saw that in many, uh, in, in some Friends of mine when I was in high school, their parents um, definitely acted that yeah. way, um, and and that does make sense. I think I think people get a little bit less uh, less courageous when they actually know <laughs> that someone belonging to the group they're about to say something negative about is in the room. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> and what's 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 annoying to me is that I'm in this position, you know, working for the denomination where. Um, you know, there, there are people that will listen to this and will be waiting for me to somewhere tell you like, you need to change and Jesus loves you, but loves you not, you know, loves you enough to not leave you the way that you are all that. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm sure there's someone listening for that and it's not going to come. And it's like a lose, lose for me (laughs) because, um, you know, there, there's no, and that, and, and ultimately, and I'm not trying to make this about me, but what I mean to say is I think there's a level of just acceptance of if we're going to have these conversations, um, we need to, um, we need to just live in the moment, understanding what, what is, what is happening. And I think there is no need for in every conversation for anything like that to happen, regardless of what my personal stance might be on this. Mm -hmm. And, um, it, it is, so I, I am, you know, when you tell me you're in a relationship with a woman, my first question is, uh, how long have you guys been dating? And, and you know, how'd you guys meet? And I want to hear the story. Like, that's my first, like, I'm excited. Like, right. I just, the normal reaction. <laughs> uh, like, I just changed my Facebook relationship status this earlier this week when we're recording this, we're recording this on Black Friday, but 
You know, and, and like everyone's excited about it. I'm excited about your relationship. Like, Aww. I feel like that's just a normal thing for people to be excited about. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. um, so good on you. Um, <laughs> what, um, so what are, what are some of the, what are, so on the, on the, on the positive end of the spectrum, the good news now, what are some of the more, uh, more powerful and positive things that were, that have been said to you or experiences you've had by, you know, with church members or with just with really anyone? Mm-hmm. Um, definitely the most encouraging thing that people have done for me is to listen to what I have to say and Mm. hear me out and hear out the other side, so to speak. Um, yeah, just giving, just making a space to discuss stuff. Not that they have to adopt my point of view. That's not the point at all. It's that they took the time and were willing to listen. That's super important to me. So that was, do you, did you find that there were some, you know, when you first started being more open about this, did you find that there were some friends that you kind of had to either walk away from or some friendships you had to close the door on because they weren't um, willing to dialogue about it? Um, Yeah, there was one in particular that, so I've always been the type of person that has just a small circle of friends. Mm -hmm. Um, And so there was one friend who basically stopped being friends with me after I started dating this person. And it it was for like, it wasn't explicitly because of that. Um, I think she had some other reasons, but that's basically what happens no matter what the Mm. stated motive was, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, whether it's correlation or causation, like it happened And they didn't necessarily make right. any sort of effort to clear that up if it was anything mm-hmm. else. Um, so that, you know, that, that definitely makes sense. And this is, um, now I'm going to hit you with a question that I did not tell you in advance Ooh. about, but this is, this, this, um, this, this is brought it up, which is this, um, the, when we talk about the way that you identify and um, there's this, I guess, when when you're talking about the way that you identify how much of you do you think is is wrapped up in the in the sexual identity and orientation category um and 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 here's what i mean by that there's there's a lot especially in a conservative circle who would say oh well your identity is more than just your orientation or your and it seems like this is just the most important thing and this is everything and this is the only if you don't accept this part of me then you don't accept any of me um and i that feels like a misconception to me but I've never asked this question straight up. So I'd rather come at it from a completely ignorant standpoint, um, even for the sake of maybe mm-hmm. listeners who've never asked it either. But yeah, how much of how much of you as Nicole do you think is kind of wrapped up in this in in this part of who you are? Um I think it's one facet of the many things that make me the person I am. So but when it comes, <laughs> yeah. But when it comes to the way people treat me, if it's because of this thing, when they mistreat me or reject me over this, they're rejecting all of me. Mm. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. That does make sense. Um, yeah. That because it is a, I guess for in 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 relationship terminology, like that's a deal breaker for you. Like this is an important part of who you are. There's no changing that. Like yeah, mm-hmm. that. Um, and I think, I think the way that I hear that is in the same vein of, um, 
you know, if I am, if I'm in a relationship or if I like someone and my friends, you know, if, and people aren't being at, in any way supportive, <laughs> um, but there's nothing obviously wrong with the person, right? It's not like they're a compulsive liar. There's no yeah. red flags. It's right. just like, oh, I have a bad feeling about that. Or I just don't like mm -hmm. them for whatever reason. Yeah. Um, like, it's kind of like, okay, cool. Well, then you don't like the things that I like here. Like, you're not, you don't consider this the way that I do. And so there's going right. to be space there. Like that, in my mind, like that answer 100% mm -hmm. makes sense. Um, so. Oh yeah, for sure. Like, so say that you're married and you have a wife. Of course, your wife is only one part of your life. But anybody who is rude to her or mistreats her mm -hmm. or like has anything bad to say about her that's yeah. not warranted. It's going to create distance between you and that Absolutely. other person. Yeah, that, you know? that is, that is yeah. that's something that I've actually brought up before. Now I can't remember why, but it was there. I used to tell a joke about, <laughs> about that exact thing of like, yeah, if you don't like my wife, you're the one who, like, you're not the one I made an oath to. I made right. an oath to my wife, so um, she's going to win in that category. Yeah. Um, no, that makes yeah. sense. Um, so for someone who would look at um, for someone who has traditionally looked at LGBTQ plus relationships and uh, individuals with a non-affirming, you know, kind of blanket no on all of this, um, you know, is there, you know, what do you think the the first step for them would be in order to come to a place of even, you know, even a little bit more accepting or being more open to it? Um, anything like that? Do you think there's a, or do you think there's a first step at all? Um, yeah. Mm. I think that definitely depends on the person. If they're the type of person like me who needs to have a solid theological argument, then they need to go read some books. Mm. Um, but like for everyone, regardless of how interested you are in the nitty gritty details of it, um, definitely go find some people and talk to them who belong to the LGBT community because interacting with people who are aligned with an idea that you have is very humanizing to the idea, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So people don't, I believe that it's easy to hate people if they are not people to you and if they only represent something, yeah, an idea. So trying to change your idea about the LGBT community and make it personal and human by befriending people who belong to that community is definitely a great first yeah. step. I, no, I that say. actually, that, that does make sense. Now here's, I mean, okay. So realistic part of that question or follow up to that question is, you know, to befriend someone who's that way when you are not accepting of that, of, you know, an LGBTQ plus individual to begin with, like, um, mm -hmm. I feel like there are LGBTQ plus people who wouldn't want to be friends with them. What is the, so my, my question would be, what is the posture that someone should come Given, given that difference of opinion, that actually makes that friendship or that conversation realistic. I don't think that you have to agree with someone 100% to love mm. them. Okay. Yeah. You don't have to be the same person to be respectful. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's definitely possible to maintain a relationship with someone that is different from you. And I think the problem in this situation isn't that your religious convictions are preventing you from showing respect. Mm. It's the homophobia or transphobia. It's those, those things are separate from what the Bible says and what Jesus, the way Jesus wants us yeah. to be. And so the, what, what is keeping you from loving and relating to 
a gay or trans person is not the Bible. It's whatever whatever prejudice that has been inculcated in you by society. Hmm. Hmm. That is, yeah, it, it is. I love the the idea that people are like, yeah, I just, it's what the Bible says. And I, you know, the Bible gives me no other choice uh, but to do this thing. And I'm like, no, <laughs> yeah. you always have a choice. Way, like, yeah, yeah. The way I see it, people use the Bible as an excuse to continue to harbor those beliefs and those attitudes. Mm. Hate is never something that the Bible encourages. Yeah. It's, it can only serve as an excuse or a facade. You know, I, um, what's funny is I remember probably a year ago, I, this, this comment sticks out to me. So I'm, I'm on Reddit a lot. I don't know if you know what Reddit is. Yeah, I do. <laughs> uh, okay, great. Uh, we're fr- we're best friends now. Um, <laughs> I have ruined so many of my friends' lives by introducing them to Reddit oh, in the best way possible. So I remember reading and I have no idea what the, the, the context of the thread was, but basically there was a commenter who was talking about, I think it was his like grandfather or his grandfather-in-law, one of the two who was, um, who lived in a very, very small town. I think he was just kind of on his own almost his entire life. Had never really interacted with a whole lot of people. Um, wasn't really raised in any specific religion or, you know, belief system. He just kind of is who he is. And he found out that one of his granddaughters was Mm -hmm. a lesbian and his first reaction to it was, Okay. Like he didn't, he, he was indifferent. Like he didn't care one way. He's like, all right, good for her. Like, and it was the, and the commenter was basically like, it is interesting to me to see how someone responded to it, given that they didn't have any society, societal influence on them uh, prior I mean, to. You could argue that there is a societal influence on people who you would think don't have societal influence. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, even if you don't think you have an accent, you do have an accent. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't have an accent to me, but I'm the only me that there's ever right. been. So, <laughs> right. um, no, that, yeah. And it was just, it was just interesting that for someone who was a, in a little bit more of a kind of defined isolation, I guess, um, mm-hmm. to have that reaction. And I get that we don't make like big, you know, scientific findings off of anecdotal evidence. I just okay. thought that one thing was interesting and stood yeah. out to me. Yeah. Um, do you, um, do you think there is any similarity uh, between, you know, any similarity in the journey of accepting your own orientation or an identity versus um, someone else becoming more accepting? So those two journeys of me accepting others and, you know, me accepting myself, is there any similarity there? Do you think that there are any steps that look alike or are, um, and if so, which ones? I think there is. I think research would be one. <laughs> yeah, for sure. That's it. That's actually the first thing that came to mind. Like, yeah, there's overlap for sure. Um, like, you can all read the same books, no matter whether you're part of the LGBT community or not. Um, mm-hmm. But I do think it's different for people who are, because you have stuff at stake, you know? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, it's definitely more personal for obvious reasons. And Every instance of prejudice or um, hateful speech that you experience is just like a blip on someone else's radar. But when you're the one who's Mm -hmm. gay or you're the one who's transgender, all of that is like surrounding you. Does that make sense? Yeah. um, There's a, there's a sense of like urgency and there's no, 
there's no kind of putting it on the right. back. For you, putting it on the back burner is basically repressing it versus for someone like me who's straight, it's just kind of like, I have a choice on whether or not I want to research this and yeah, whether I do or don't. You don't really have any really, consequences. Aside yeah, from whatever um, moral responsibility you hold towards the LGBT community. Yeah, well, and that's that has been... So one of the most interesting dilemmas that I have found myself in and... Um, I think other pastors face whether they don't realize it or not um, was the idea that like, yeah, for me, researching this is a choice. And for me, I don't have to face mm -hmm. this. So I don't need to study it because like, if I'm unsure, I don't need to come to a conclusion right now on it. Because if I, because, you know, it's not an urgent thing for me, whatever. But as a pastor, I'm going to encounter someone right. who is, if not, if I haven't already. And so the, the struggle I had was like, this sense of I'm scared to I'm scared of whatever answer yeah. I might come to or find, but I also need to respect the people that I haven't met yet, or even maybe the people I already have met, who are looking for some sort of spiritual mm -hmm. care from me as a pastor. And so the sense of urgency, I love that you said there's a moral responsibility to that group because um, that's what it is as a pastor is you do have a sense of a spiritual yeah. responsibility mm -hmm. to everyone. <laughs> everyone <laughs> like, you meet. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, yeah, I mean, really, you do, and I think, and I think that's actually true to to in in some way, shape, or form. I think that is true for every Christian, because um, you you end up being the representation of Jesus to someone yes, else. That's so true. And if and if you don't know, you know, if if you are not prepared in in response, like that in itself is a yeah. is a response to say, like, I don't know, I haven't come to a conclusion yeah. yet. That like, reminds me. Of your earlier question, when you asked what's the most terrible thing that people have said mm. to you since yeah. you came out, that probably is it. People who say, I don't know what the answer mm. is, and therefore I am free to not do anything about it. Mm. I think that's really hurtful because it shows that you don't care. It's not that you yeah, that did your research and came to a conclusion. It's that you just are ambivalent or, or you're, you're ambivalent, not the word. You're apathetic about it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You, it, it shows that you don't prioritize the thing that is a major priority for me. That's what exactly. that, like there, it, and right there, like that in itself, the different, you can disagree with me. And while the values might be different there, at least there's a clear line in the sand and mm -hmm. I can work with that. But if it's a, if, if, if your values are different in a way that is completely undefined in a way that's like, I don't know, I don't, it just is, I don't, you know, I have no, right. I don't care. It's great when people take the responsibility on themselves to educate yeah. themselves, you know? Um, I yeah. 100% agree with that. Um, and I do <laughs> think that Christians do have a, have a responsibility to come to a conclusion, to, to, you know, to reach a conclusion. But I also think that there is a, there is a secondary responsibility to always be willing to learn and, and, and discover new things and to not, you know, whatever your conclusion is on anything, whether it's LGBTQ plus or it's, you know, the Sabbath or it's the second coming, I don't care what the, what the belief is. Um, there should always be room for improvement in the conclusion you've reached. And there should always be a willingness to completely walk away from that belief. Um, if new information is found uh, or if that, you know, that changes the narrative. Um, right. And that goes for everyone. I would say like, yeah. just because I think I found this new light that, gives me the ability to reconcile my faith with what I know about the LGBT community. 
mm-hmm. doesn't mean that this is where it stops and this is it for me. Like yeah. I would, I would hate to be the person that says, um, this is the absolute truth and there's no other possible answer and I must be a hundred percent right. You know? Mm. And that's something that really bugs me about what other people, other people who have talked to me about this issue, who, especially if they haven't researched it and they're just coming off of just the general milieu of the Adventist community. Mm -hmm. That really bugs me. You know, it is. So the, the other two times I've talked about this, this on the show, uh, the first time I talked about it, I talked about the history in Rome and some of the historical context around the six, uh, so-called clobber texts on this or clobber passages. Yeah. Um, and, um, basically the question was, you know, um, the, the question I asked in that was, should we be so quick to reject an entire group of people based on six passages of like less than probably less than what? 30 verses in scripture, less than 20, probably, um, should we reject an entire people on less than that when, and here's one for you. There's over 20, I think it's 2100 or 2300, one of the two. They're close enough that I'm fine saying both. Uh, verses, or there are over 2100 verses in the Bible that talk about taking care of the poor, the orphan, the widow, and our social justice related. We don't have a single fundamental belief on that. In fact, I don't <laughs> know of a denomination that has a single like doctrine on that yeah. whatsoever outside of like some basic summary of like we should love others. Yeah, very big. But there's 2300. And we're sitting here not discussing that at all, mm-hmm. but nah, these six over here, these six passages, oh, this, that's it. Like that's, it's black and white here. Yeah. Um, and then the second time I talked about it, I brought up the fact that um, the church pushes marriage so hard on people that even if someone who's LGBTQ plus came into the, the current system or the current way that the system would accept someone is if they were basically right. celibate, right? And, um, but the problem is the church pushes marriage so much there's no room for single people in the church anymore. Oh, what do you mean by so that? Even, so like if the push, if, if the church, every singles ministry is basically real, like a real life Tinder, but with, you know, all the, all the church singles, <laughs> oh, you know, wait, that's, that's kind of true. So like, there's this big push, like, yeah. when are you going to get married? When are you going to get married? And if you're like, oh, well, mm-hmm. I'm celibate, uh, uh, you know, it, it, it is this, oh, you know, or, or I'm not, you know, I'm not in a relationship. Oh, well, when are you going to get in one then? Right. It's like you're not yeah. done. This is just right. a phase. The problem with you problem with so even if an LGBTQ plus person plays by the rules, so to speak, there's still no place for them because their entire life they'll just be reminded that they're in that phase or they, they haven't had um right. the same there's experience. No to be recognized as a legitimate fully grown adult. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Yes. Thank yeah. you. Thank you for the words. Um and and in both of those cases for me, the question always comes comes back to why are we, why do we have to be so adamant about this? And why can't we have a more open dialogue and conversation about this? Because we we're willing to have it about plenty of other things, but this one um, just people just get so uncomfortable by it. And I don't think it is a black and white thing. I really don't. Mm-hmm. Um, why do you think it's that? Why do you think it's this way? Why do I think it is? Why do you think people aren't willing to have a conversation about it? Yeah. Um, I'm supposed to be the one interviewing. Um, the, <laughs> Ooh, um, the turntables. Oh, well played. Um, the I think, I think first of all, I think there is a general homophobia, and I think there is a general. I think a 
uh, when you said no matter how isolated you are, there's always some sort of you know societal influence. And I think um, a good example of that is the way that just the way that you're raised in general and the things that you see around you, right? If my entire life I grew up and in every TV show I watch and every in every movie I in every book whatever. I'm only seeing straight couples. And then by the time I'm you know, 12 or 13, I see a guy kiss a guy or a girl kiss a girl for the first time. There are people that are uncomfortable by me just saying those words, mm-hmm. right? It is just so foreign um, that um, when it happens, they just can't get past their own feelings of discomfort. I think that's number one. And I think number two is, and this is something that has been said, and it's almost a cliche now, but um, I do think that it is easier to spot out something that I find wrong in someone else versus focusing on that is clearly visible rather than focusing on, on other things that are probably worth more of my time, right? It's much easier to say, um, to identify this and say it's bad in, in yeah. orient in expressed orientation. I ha- I'd never, I've, I'm training myself. I've been working on this for the last like two years, but I've been training myself to not say the word lifestyle anymore. Um, I think it's incredibly oh, yeah. wrong, um, <laughs> but you know, you see, you can probably see me processing oh, like, <laughs> I, yeah. And I, that, that, yeah, I try very hard not to say it because I, I fully like I, I've learned and um, I've educated myself on that word, but I think there is, um, yeah, I think it's easier to, to point out, you know, expressed orientation versus like finding someone's pride or someone's greed or anything like that. And I think we're a lot more willing in many cases to accept the internal sins versus the outwardly expressed ones. And I don't even think, or anything, let me take a half a step back and say the outwardly expressed things that we, that some would consider sin. Let me say it that way. Um, cool. Because I don't think it's black and white. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Thank you. Um, <laughs> old habits die hard, you know? Yeah, I know. Um, uh, the, but yeah, I, I, I think it is easier to, to point out the speck in someone else's eye than the log in our own. Um, and I think it's easier to just mm-hmm. lean into what makes us t- uncomfortable versus like in a way that's just accepting that versus accepting yeah. the person. And so much of the message of the gospel is that to love is difficult. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That Jesus says you're going to suffer and it's all for the cause of love. And I think the same thing we see played out here in this um, with regard to this topic is that people find it so much easier to just estrange others instead of trying to understand something that they don't naturally understand. Mm-hmm. So pointing something out and saying, Oh, that's strange is a lot easier than actually trying to love those people. I hate to say mm-hmm. those people, but I, I mean, love us. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. But, well, I mean, I think it goes for, I mean, that is, a, that is a principle that applies across a variety of, you know, it, it applies in ethnic groups, it applies mm-hmm. in, um, in LG, to yeah. LGBTQ+. Plus. So I think, you know, to, to anyone that is different that, or that we would consider different from ourselves, yeah. yeah. Um, it is, yes, 100%. And, it's, and I think, I wish that the first step for a lot of people would be, um, would be to take a step back and just to ask why this makes me uncomfortable to begin with rather than just embracing the discomfort as normal in itself. Um, I think yeah. there's been a, an, an assumption that that, that that discomfort is normal. And maybe it is given the way that you grew up, but that doesn't mean that norm, normal isn't always right. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, mm-hmm. that's what I wish for many 
that the first step would be would be the next time that they feel that discomfort instead of just going, yeah, I'm uncomfortable. I'm going to express that. Just ask yourself, why do I feel this way? Like, what is the actual root of this? Yeah. And it might be hard to know why. Sometimes we don't know our own motives until Mm -hmm. we do like a lot of self like introspection. Yeah. And that, that does take time. And -hmm. I think there is, you know, I did, I, you know, I said that there was a sense of urgency or there should be a sense of urgency. That doesn't mean that I think everyone listening to this needs an answer by tomorrow. (laughs) But I think even, you know, I feel like, and maybe I'm wrong on this, in which case, feel free to correct me. But I feel like there's a difference between the words, I don't know, meh, and I don't know right now. I've been studying this and researching this, and here's where I'm at, and I'm still trying to figure this out intentionally. I feel like there's yes. a big difference between those two things, right? Yes, that is super different. <laughs> and I feel... Because one, show, one shows that you're actually trying. Yeah, that's right. That you're, you have invested something into it. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and that is... Yeah, there is... For me, it was a... In, in a completely unrelated category, um, for there is a, a member of my family who has, um, who struggles through uh, a mental illness and a behavioral disorder on top of mm-hmm. several other health issues. Um, I'm very, you know, intentional to not say who this person is, but, um, and, but we've been wrestling with that and reconciling with that reality for the last, um, well, really, it's been 20 years for the rest of my family, but I learned about it literally a decade ago this year. Um, when I was 16, I learned about it. And um, what's funny is I tell people, uh, I, I will open up to someone about this, and the first thing they'll do is try and tell me, what you know, have you tried this? Well, have you tried this? And I'm like, no, I've just been living in this way for a decade, not having tried any of the... F- <laughs> No, but the, the, the first thing to your mind in 10 seconds, that's the thing. That's the, that's the magic bullet that's going to fix this entire problem. Um, oh. It just always, there's a difference between someone just listening and being willing to dialogue and, and, and acknowledge mm-hmm. how you feel versus someone who is just willing to outright dismiss your situation because of either how they feel or whatever their first preconceived notions or ideas right. are. Yeah, so it's totally, it's very, yeah, I, uh, very important distinction. Yeah. <laughs> well, what, um, what, what has been, I'm trying to figure out how to, a way to ask this, I guess, as you've, as you've reconciled, um, kind of your faith again with, um, with your, with your identity, what is, you know, wh- where are you on that conservative, where, where are you on that religious spectrum now? Have you been able to kind of reintegrate into some of the communities you were in before? Have you had to, within church specifically, or has this been something that you've kind of had to find a newer community? Um, what is, what is that? And granted, you also went to college, you know, now you're in California. There's, there is a, right. you've traveled. So obviously you're going to find. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but what, uh, yeah, for you, what is, what has been that re, what has that reintegration actually looked like? Um, to be perfectly honest, going to church is not always easy. Mm. I do it every week and it's still not always easy. Um, Mm. I am not out to my home church because that's where my parents go and they're not really comfortable with me being out there. But, um, so it's, 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 um, out of respect to my parents, basically that I'm not out there, yeah. but I would, if I could. So 
I don't think that I've experienced reintegration, um, but mm. I have experienced integration into New York communities. Um, yeah. yeah on a, on a no, corporate level, it's, yeah. it's not the same as on an individual level, obviously. So mm -hmm. any support that I have from church members is very like individual and not official. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, and I think, I think there is a need for church members on a corporate level and an individual level to, um, to stop considering that when someone, when someone makes a decision or accepts a reality in their life, like, um, that's the, um, we treat them as like, that's the totality of their life now, or that's, you know, there's, there's finality to whatever they said. And I'm not saying that there's a chance that you're not by later. What I am saying though, <laughs> is it doesn't like who you are now is not always who you will be and you will continue to grow and mature regardless and in completely disconnected ways to that part of who you are. Yeah. And there is a, there is a need to acknowledge the kind of fluidity of being a human being and understanding that like you are on a journey just like I am and just like anyone else is. And it is incredibly mm -hmm. important. Like for me, it is more important for me personally to be able to be on that journey with someone versus telling them, yeah, good luck on your journey. Have fun. But don't talk yeah. to me. Don't come around here. Your journey cannot include oh. this household or this church or this. <laughs> uh, not anymore. Um, that yeah. just seems, you know, it'd be one thing if you were. It's disingenuous. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. Thank you, uh, the liar. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for that word. Um, I'm, you should just host this podcast from now on. You're much well, more well-spoken than I am. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Uh, all yours. Um, hey, if you want to start one, I help people start podcasts all the time. I got your back. Um, so um, as we kind of wrap up, what, um, you know, I do want to turn the floor over to you. What, what are some final thoughts? What, what do you want people to know? What do you want to leave people with? Anything like that? What part of this conversation do you think we've missed? Um, or do you think, you know, we could, we could go back into or go, go into more in detail? What do you this is about you and this is a chance for you to, to share your own experience too. And I don't want you to leave even this conversation thinking like, Oh, you know what? I wish we had talked about this or I wish I had asked this or whatever. Like what, yeah. What piece of this are we missing? You know, ever since, ever since you contacted me, I I've been thinking about how mm -hmm. being in Loma Linda, not everyone who goes to this school, actually a lot of people don't go to this, who go to yeah. this school are not Adventist and they come from a variety of faith backgrounds. Um, mostly Christian though. And it's been really interesting to me to see friends who are part of the LGBT community who have never experienced rejection from their church and mm. their family. I think that is incredible. And it's so, it gives me a lot of hope for what the Adventist church could mm. someday be. Um, so people who come, for example, from the a Methodist background, um, where a good portion of whatever denomination they are is affirming and they grew up in a family that never rejected them mm. for that. And they grew up in a church that was supportive and affirming of gay and transgender people. I think that is something that has started to shift my perspective on um, what it means to be a gay person in Christianity. Mm. Cause there are tons of Christians who are very affirming and 
just for me to look at that and imagine what it could be like yeah. for other people who would have been where I was. Um, that's really encouraging for me. Yeah, absolutely. And, and yeah, go ahead. I was going to, that just made me, this is going to be kind of a, a, a kind of a point blank question. Um, given, <laughs> given that you've experienced that from, you know, others, um, why did you decide, and you can choose not to answer this by the way. Um, but what, what made you decide to stay in Adventism where you knew that would be a harder fight? Mm. I'm stubborn. <laughs> yes. No. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I'm more ser- like, seriously though, I have very Adventist beliefs and a very Adventist worldview. Mm-hmm. And talking to my Baptist or Methodist friends, they're, they are Christians and they do believe in God but they don't have the same worldview that I do. And I think that even if I were to leave Adventism and just become a different kind of Christian, it would, it would be, it would still be an alienating experience. Mm. That's my family. That's my roots. Yeah. This is where I come from. And that's, I think this, I believe this is where I belong. Mm. Yeah. No, that is for me. I, I would say very much the same thing. I think the, the most beautiful way that I've, I've heard it put, uh, was by Rachel Held Evans. And I don't remember if this interview happened just before she passed away or if it was, um, or if it happened years ago and it resurfaced. But um, someone had asked her why she was a Christian even when she wrestled with doubts. And she's a popular, I don't know if you know who she is. She, but she is yeah. a, um, yeah, she, she was an author and, and speaker and incredible woman. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that she said when she was asked, why, do you, why are you still a Christian? She's like, this is my first language. <laughs> You know, it's like English to me. Um, it's home. And why am I just going to leave home? And even if I tried to leave home, like I'm still going to, you know, if I'm an American and I move to Europe, I'm still going to be the American in Europe. Right. Um, the, um, the, it will always be a part of who I am. And understanding that is, is significant too. And for me, man, if it was, if it was dependent on people or on, you know, experiences, that I've had in corporate Christianity or corporate Adventism, I would have left a long time ago for me. Uh, I like, it's what I believe. There's simply nowhere else to go for me if I believe what I do. Yeah. So I've got that, it stuck. Right. And not only that, I do think that the Adventist church has potential for change. Like mm. I'm not, I don't think I'm banging my head against a wall when I advocate for change within the church. I believe that it's possible and I believe that it's necessary. And I think that there are people in the, in the church who are rising leaders and they have, they have the direction that I think the church needs to be, needs to take. And so I'm, mm. part of me is just sticking around waiting for something to happen. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, absolutely. Um, well, and, I guess I technically count as someone within Adventism. So um, <laughs> I, am, I am glad to be a part of the positive end of this conversation. Um, mm-hmm. And I hope this has been a positive experience for you. I hope yeah. you don't get off the yeah. call and you're like, that was terrible. I hope this never airs. He is a horrible <laughs> human being. Um, <laughs> no, no. no. Um, any, anything else that I, I asked you final thoughts and then I asked you another question. So now for real, any final real thoughts or anything time. else you want to leave? I just, I just, to people who are listening, who hold a non-affirming view and are Christian, I think it's important to stress that 
I don't expect you to change your beliefs. And that's not what I'm here for. I'm not here to convince you that you're wrong. I think the important thing is to re-emphasize um, the place, the high place that love holds in the gospel. And um, just kind of reevaluate and look and, and kind of just see how much of this is something that Jesus would encourage and how much of it is something that society has taught you to say, like how much of this is just uh, uh, like a pat answer that you have for yourself without mm. really thinking about it and processing it through the lens of Christ. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. No, thank you. Um, thank you for sharing that. And um, one of the, what that remind me of is I preached a, um, a sermon back in February of this year out in Texas. And um, one of the things that I, I had mentioned was uh, that whenever, whenever someone asks what's the answer to the problems in the world, we just say, Oh, we just need to love more. And, um, but then they never define it. And so it's like this weird thing where everyone thinks they're being loving because you know, the way they, they think that the way they right. treat people is oh, yeah. the most loving way to treat them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And one of the things I discovered when I was reading Matthew 25, which is the parable or not the parable. Yeah, it is a parable of the sheep and the goats. Um, mm. God will separate the sheep on, you know, on the right, the goats on the left. And he, you know, um, and people ask, well, you know, why do you, why are we here? And they say, oh, well, when you, and Jesus will say, well, when I was naked, you clothed me. When I was a stranger, you know, you, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was sick, you, you, um, you comforted me or, and when I was in prison, you came and visited me. Mm -hmm. One of the things I discovered there was that it wasn't the people that they were called to love weren't people that were just less fortunate or in a worse so social position than them. Right. They were called the sheep because they loved the people that they actively felt that they had no reason to love or actively didn't want to love. No one wants to go visit a prisoner, <laughs> right? Most of the time someone is, that someone's in jail, it's probably because, now this doesn't always happen, thank you prison system, but most of the time it's because they actually committed a crime, right? Um, Sometimes. Like, yeah, you would, you would hope or expect. That's why I say yeah. prison system doesn't always get that right, but, or the justice system doesn't. The idea being, even when you were sick in that time, going to see a sick person was really breaking Old Testament law if you were interacting with them in any significant way. And so mm -hmm. in, that, in those respects, loving someone, the, the very biblical definition of loving someone is loving the person that in that moment you don't want to love, you don't want to do something for, you don't mm -hmm. want to give the benefit of the doubt mm -hmm. to. Um, and so I want to underscore what you've said by asking those same individuals to, to you know, take a second and, and ask who, you know, what is stopping me from loving someone? And if it is the fact that I don't want to, or it's the fact that I'm uncomfortable by them, congratulations. That's the exact person that Jesus has called you <laughs> to interact with, yeah. engage with oh, yeah. in a positive way. Exactly. Um, so Nicole, thank you again for sharing your story, for sharing your experience. Um, this has been really fun for me. I've really enjoyed the conversation. Oh, thank you, Ryan. Um, and I hope that this isn't the last time we talk. Um, I, I hope so too. Um, and, you know, I'll be praying for you as you continue your journey and I'll be praying for your relationship as well. Um, thank you. And uh, I do hope that you are continually able to find uh, space in Adventism and in Christianity where you can be who you are um, and, um, you know, be authentic to 
be authentic to that part of you as well. Um, so thank you again for, for coming on. This has been just a wonderful experience for me. Thanks for having me, Brian. Yeah. And to our listeners, thank you for, uh, for joining with us. And you can, um, you can listen to us on any of the normal podcasting apps. Obviously, if you've listened to this through the website or something, any normal podcasting app will work. Um, but thank you guys so much for listening and for being on this journey with us as we have these conversations. Uh, if you want my contact infos in the show notes. Um, oh, hey, real quick question. Any books or anything that you would recommend to anyone off the top of your head? If you don't, you can text them to me later and I'll throw them in the show notes. Um, there are a ton of books. I would start with a really good review of different books is God and the Gay Christian by Matthew Vines. This very like bright orange book. And it's, it's yes, a, it's I've seen that. Read. I haven't read it, but I've it's seen an it. easy read. Okay. And he references different different scholars. And basically, to me, he's a summary of what other people have to say about it. Then there's like more specific books like The Invention of Sodomy in Christian Theology. Um, I forget who it's by, but it's more about the specific story, story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, mm-hmm. Bible, Gender, and Sexuality by James Brownson, I believe, it is also a good resource. And there's tons of YouTube videos. Sweet. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you for that. Um, I'm going to throw that also at the beginning of the episode for anyone who doesn't listen this far in. Um, let them know that you have a list that you've given me. But um, cool. thank you for that. I yeah. forgot to ask it and I want to give people a place to start. So um, yeah, to our listeners, thank you for joining us and we'll see you next week. Thank you.